Hello and welcome to Euphoria. Uh, this is the episode for finals week. We just witnessed round two of playoffs, three back-to-back incredible best of fives. I'm Dracos, joined by Frost Grant. You can find us on the internet, Twitter, at Daniel Dracos, or at Frost Grant. There's also an Instagram there, but you guys can find that for yourself. It's like all linked together. Um, we're going to be talking about a lot of stuff today, and we are available, of course, on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes slash Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, so depending on where you're listening, always recommend YouTube though, because there's occasionally some great video gags, but really wherever you're cozy and comfortable. Um, and anyway, Frosco, let's just like jump into it. Um, we've also got perks coming in later as a heads up, but before we get to perks, we can talk a little bit. I'm over caffeinated, if you can't tell. Um, it's all kicked in now. Well, this is the part we're recording last, and I'm officially uh, cracked out. Uh, last week in the LEC, um, three different series happened, they were all great. But we're going to do them in the order that is uh, the most entertaining, which is Mad Chocolate. Then we'll talk about Rogue Mad. And then we'll talk about Fanatic G2 before we bring our boy. It Perks feels on the like show. such a lifetime ago that Mad Chalka happened. I forgot that Chalka got eliminated last week. That's how f- much of a tour this last weekend was. Oh, wow. But let's, is... let's start with that series. That was. With that, we cast that, which I also forgot until this exact moment. So that might tell you exactly how. Um, Listen, it's been a whirlwind. It's it's been a whirlwind. I distinctly remember while casting it that um, Gilius was overforcing. Yep. That I wish that there were times when he would have pivoted towards the Kha'Zix that I think he hovered and instead he stayed on the Lee Sen, which respect the confidence, but... um, After the first game, you're like, what are you doing, buddy? Yeah. Um, I think that... What what also happened? Mad changed up their strategy. Oh, uh, Shadow on Lilia. Shadow on Lilia was the big breakthrough, right? Uh, I was really popping off and showcasing there. You also had individual performers stepping back up. Um, Oduwamne on game five, not game five, his last game, Kennen, where he was just trying his little hardest to pull it together. Abadage oh, playing so, his heart out on that so Oriana for the final hold. Uh, and I think I said it best on broadcast, but I'll say it here again. While the world will not get to see the miracle that was the Schalke run, mm. Europe did. And while it will always feel bad, like that is a fiddlesticks in feel bad moment for the players. I am very proud of them. I really enjoyed casting and watching them and they yep. completely shattered my perception of like, and it's funny because I talk about this at the end of the episode, even though I like completely, anyway, the perception of what ceiling is. Like yep. people thought that they knew who Gilius was, what Gilius was capable of, and Schalke, with an asterisk next to it for the COVID situation, uh, threw all of that out the window and said, no, this is like, this is the new version of us. So I think it was amazing, and it's just unfortunate the world doesn't get to see it, but EU, we see you, Schalke. Yeah, shout out to the entire team, really. Odawamne, I think, is the big one that I want to highlight. Like That man, nothing but respect for for Odawamne and his tenacity to stay consistently at the top end of top laners like i don't think he's ever been worse than top five i put Odawamne on my uh all pro i think i put him second actually i put him second and i put wonder third which now because i thought about it it was like who are the best top laners mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. um i think i should have put odo behind wonder i think wonder is like exceptionally good but um, I thought Odo was really underrated for a long time. Even in the games that Schalke were losing, I still thought that Odo was playing really well. And I think he had hard carry potential, especially on picks like his shin. Yeah, o- Odo was incredible. Uh, Abadage also cutting the feeder out. I hope that like that's my big hope for this team is that this, because we've been here before with Schalke where they do really good in summer and then next year coming into spring, we're like, oh, this is their time. And then it just all collapses. So I'm hoping, I mean, obviously roster changes can come through, but I'm hoping we get to see this same Abadage consistently because having a really competitive pool in any role makes 
every game exciting. Even if it's just mid laners, or well, probably not AD carries because this meta is kind of boring as hell. Uh, but top laners, junglers, like the more competition you have in even just one single role, like if we can get a, a year where we have like eight out of 10 mid laners are nuts, every game will bang. Every game will be insane because mid lane is just obviously such a hugely crucial role. Um, and that's that's super exciting. That said, Matt, obviously the much better team on the day. Um, Shadow was a monster in that series. And then what's sad is, is that the Rogue versus Mad series was kind of a, not kind of, the Rogue series was a hot mess from Mad Lions. Like that to me, and I'm going to say this, and I don't like using this word because I think that it inspires the wrong things. But in this case, I think it's merciful to say that Shadow choked in that series. Because if that was him playing at peak level, Shadow's bad. But I think I just think that he was not ready for what Rogue threw at him, and it was very clear he was overforcing. The the Nidalee game was abysmal, and he did a really good job clawing his way back as much as he could. But then he was like jumping over the wall for Krug camps, and getting one tapped. Like it was, it was so hard to watch. And it's not all his fault, but like Shadow was the one that obviously like did so much in that first series. So to see him, kind of, instantly just be obliterated by Inspired was such a shock to me. But also. I mean, so also think about format then. Mad Lions face Shalka mm -hmm. a day, and true. then they face Rogue. Oh, yeah, true. And Rogue have been throwing the same punch every single time. And you probably prepare, and this is all assumption. For all I know, they could have ex uh, scrimmed exclusively well, actually, I think Rogue. Mad, Mad did tweet, not Mad, Mac, I think tweeted out that, like, hey, we like slept on Rogue a little bit, and we didn't maybe give them as much. Well, because again, you, you think that your preparation will, that you've always had for Rogue will work because they always do the same thing, and then they completely change up the style. The picks were vastly different. Um, Larson pulling out the Lucian, which empowered Inspired to bring out his Evelyn, which apparently he's a big Eve player. And yep. then you also haven't shored up any of the issues that Mad Lines had from their Shalka series. And I think that's where you get a case where someone gets blown away. You know, maybe if maybe if Mad Lions get more preparation, more runway time, maybe if they had another run at that best of five, uh, it wouldn't turn out like this. But I'm not blaming format at all. But I, I do think like circumstance is really important there. And I think it always goes back to here's the really nice thing. Uh, people who shit talk rogue. Where you at? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I was one of them. This blew me away. I, I did not expect shit from Rogue, and this series was really insane from them. The fact that they, like, 180'd their style, my hope is, and this is a big dream for Rogue, but my hope for them that would, like, give me a lot more faith for them in the G2 series is that they can do both things now. That it's not just, like, a we have to pick one thing at a time and practice this one thing, but more of a versatility thing. If that comes through, damn, like, Rogue are really scary. But here's the thing. Like, I I don't think that they 180'd their style. I think that, that you can mm -hmm. say that about that but the thing is is they changed picks in their jungle and their mid lane position which changes how you play the game because it vastly changes your win conditions and if that's how you're defining changing the style then i guess that that works but for me i'm like what is the core play style of rogue well it's usually larson carrying with his best buddy inspired and then you have vander and han sama who are a solid bot lane that play really well in waves and then you have a weak side top laner as the joke goes for finn unless he gets to pop off on his cled and this was still the same like the champions changed which changed the win conditions so the game played out very differently than you traditionally see a rogue game, but the core identity of Inspired pulling out a carry jungler like his former Olaf, but now in an AP form in Evelyn, and Larson still being Wonder Boy Larson was still really true to its identity. True. I mean, very valid. 
Um, and I think one thing that's important to remember for Mad Lions is like we go through is that they're still qualified to Worlds. So if you're don't like don't count them out yet, and I think still send them a lot of your support because also it's important to remember like the Mad staff were very adamant about being like guys, we are still a young rookie team. Do not expect so much from us. And obviously, I was like, screw that. You guys are sick. Like, let's go. You guys are popping off first half of the season. Like, I was really excited to watch it. I think a lot of people were. But still remember, that this is an incredibly young team. And Rogue is also young, but they have the veterancy of two of the most established players in the league right now in Hansama and Vander, whereas Humanoid is really the only member with a significant amount of experience. And even then, by comparison to Hansama and Vander, is so much younger. So if there was ever a team that was going to struggle coming back in a best of five it was probably mad lions even if we did see them go the full five against g2 previously and i think uh sending mad lions to plans like i can't think of a better team to send there in terms of growth like but it goes one or one of two directions either you send mad lions uh through plans and then we assume that they'll eventually climb to uh group stage and they learn so much it completely revolutionizes them as a team then suddenly they change from that rookie squad into like a contender every single time or you send a team, especially in this situation, for a very extended period of time into quarantine, into a very intense schedule where mm. they're not really allowed to go outside, we're in a bubble system, things like that. And you absolutely break this team because the burnout is very real and they don't have the experience, as Perks talks about in his interview, to really prepare for that. And so this is... This is the situation that I have. I have all faith that the Mad Lions coaching team will help you know, turn that or, or um, provide like clear direction to avoid that and will really make use of the new scrim partners and scrim time that they get by going into plans. Um, but it is also a concern and a very real human issue that we don't really get to talk about of you have these very young guys who have probably never been in a situation like that before. Like this is their first worlds for a lot of them. And on top of that, it's the first worlds during a COVID situation where they're basically on lockdown. And that can be really intense and really draining for what has been a very long year. Yeah, like this is the thing that I hate. Oh my God, how do I describe this world? If you've ever played a fighting game and you've played against someone who plays a low tier character, it's the most infuriating thing on the face of the planet. Because if you win, you beat a guy who plays a low tier character. But if you lose, you lost to the low tier character, right? And so I feel like world isn't quite a one-to-one -one situation with that, but it's always gonna have this asterisk next to it. So that if Europe wins worlds this year, let's say, I mean, it does feel still like a difficult task, but Europe wins worlds, it'll be, well, we won in the COVID year. And like, that's gonna suck. But if we lose, we lost in the COVID year. So it's not, it's kind of just like both effects kind of feel diminished, but I hate, I hate that because I, I really want it to feel like the full, the full thing. You I know? just, I think the best thing that we can get out of here is that if, if we go to Worlds and there's just like competition everywhere, the people are close, the LCK, LPL, LEC, I'll even throw a bone, LCS are just competitive and the games are swinging back and forth wildly. It's such a shame that Vietnam won't be there. Yep. Um, very good for G2, but very bad for <laughs> I know G2 is like, yes, now we only have to worry about China. Um, but I, I just hope that the series are competitive. Yep. Agree. I think that's the the most that we can hope for. And I hope that, uh, you know, obviously, like it is it's a big thing to be to be quarantined. We don't fully know what the setups are going to be like. We don't really have all that information, but it would be difficult for me. And naturally, the perspective that I can have and I'm, we would we would not make it. That's uh, what I will say. We are not the kind of people that could be left alone to our own devices for 14 days. I mean, I would go in with like Ghost of Tsushima, mm -hmm. Final Fantasy remake. Mm -hmm. Maybe I grab a Spider-Man and then like 72 hours later, I'm like, what now? <laughs> Yeah, you're like, okay, so I'm bored of this. And you like cycle between all the things. You're like, I don't know. 
Maybe that's when you just learn Mandarin. I'm trying to remember what I did in quarantine. I learned. I tried to learn how to cook. I did get significantly Music better at that. Making. Yeah, lots of sadness. Lots of sadness. I think I went through Netflix's entire catalog. True, that's good. I intermittent fast, which meant I lost a lot of weight, which was nice, which is rare. Most people gain weight in quarantine, so I felt good about that. Um, anyway, wait, we have one more series to talk about. This is so. And at, by the way, at the end of the show, we're doing a new segment where we talk about nothing related to LEC. Uh, it's called Chill Corner. Check it out if you're interested. But Perks is up, coming up. We have a few minutes before he gets here, and I want to talk about um, Fnatic versus G2. Why was that so hard to come out of my brain? Because okay. Fnatic won, and people are still shocked about it. Is it is still shocking. It's great, though. From a script perspective... Shout out to the powers that be. We don't write the script, but if you believe in any great cosmic entity, know that they are banging script writers um, because this is dope. We now have, once again, a Fnatic and Winners, but a Fnatic and Winners, unlike last time, who actually knocked G2 down. So potential setup for the craziest finals of all time. Hopefully. That's, um, the, that's the dream. That is the dream. For the narrative, at least. For the Legacy Kings dynasties, we want that Fnatic G2 Even if back. Rogue go through, it would be Rogue beating G2 in a best of five, a team that they've never beaten, as well as then to crown themselves the LEC champions, they get to slay both kings. Wait, and okay, so that's the thing. So even the Rogue storylines, no, it is hype. good. But this is the thing, Rogue fans and Rogue, if you're if you're listening to this, I am absolutely willing to believe in you. But I swear to God, if you beat G two, you have to be fanatic. Otherwise, the story's crap. It's a crap story. If you beat G two and then get three would by fanatic, I will be you're done. I will be furious. I will be more than upset. If you could just beat them both in whatever score and whatever fashion, I don't care. If they have to run into you to make it happen, that's a story. I will. I I would pay for that movie. I, give it an Oscar. Give it an Emmy. Whatever format you want to reward, you want to give it to. Give it a Grammy. I don't care. It could be a musical number. Like I'm I'm about it. Like that. That's a dope story. But please, if you're gonna beat G two, you also have to beat Fnatic. That said, the Fnatic vs. G2 series um, was a really interesting one because it was one of like an evolving draft over the course of the series. It was one where both teams made some questionable decisions in draft. Both teams made a lot of questionable decisions on the rift. And while it was, at the end of the day, an absolute banger, it felt like it was not the best version of both teams that I think we saw on the rift that day. Hmm. That's an interesting statement. Because, like, that cast... I'm mostly like when I talk about that. Like, that cast in picking game four felt like it was out of nowhere. Obviously, the G2 throw in game three we'll talk about. I don't disagree that that wasn't the best form of G2 that we saw. Um, first of all, I'll say it like this. I think that in game one particularly, in G2 versus Fnatic, it was both teams playing well for majority of it and one team playing better mm. like you could see situations where g2 were like we cannot contest the dragon we're going to trade dragon priority for getting vision uh, on top side or clearing out vision on top side so we can deny the baron setup and they just didn't expect the pick power of ash because it was like arrow after arrow now there were still mistakes teleporting top lane to the tower massive mistake wonder getting caught out bottom by 20 forms of uh cc but like it's situations like that where people were like wow that hit me a lot harder than i thought it was going to hit me kind of felt like the motto for that mm -hmm. um but that otherwise i was like the decision making seems sound here as the series went on it was a little bit more back and forth um i think then quickly swapping to recognizing how powerful ash was was like the best case scenario for g2 and i think the drafts got significantly better i think um nemesis still unlocking self-made on his AP junglers. Self-made Gragas, I think, is the cleanest 
shit I've ever seen. Bro, when he killed Caps, when he just like looked at the fake clone, he's like, nah, bam. And like without even looking at him, throws the cast in the direction. I was like, oh my God, that's a bamf moment right there. It is just, he's that's a big bamf moment. such an incredible Gragas player. Mm-hmm. It is amazing to watch. So from like that perspective, I'm like, wow, this is probably the best form of Fnatic individually and team-wise. Like Hilly was making for most of the series. That's what I'm saying. Like there were hiccups, but you're right that for the most part, this was the best version of Fnatic. Yeah, like this is the best version of Fnatic that we've seen, but maybe, I don't know. People will say that, again, I'm being biased, but I don't feel that that was the best version of G2 that we've seen. It still was G2 Mm -hmm. playing well and Fnatic playing better. Like Fnatic deserved the win. Absolutely. But... But I want one where it is. I want the game five or the series from uh, what last year that we had that went to all five games where it felt like both teams were playing at the ceilings that they showed. That doesn't necessarily mean that it was the greatest League of Legends that you've ever seen there, but you at least know that no one was having like just a random weird off day and running it down in draft. I think the the big moment that kind of soured it for me was the game three where it felt like G2 threw it away. I, I heard an interview with Hilly where he felt like Fnatic kind of baited them into it, which is a cool perspective and I think makes me less kind of sad about that ending. Still obviously very hype. We but... always say the, the mantra of like, yeah, someone throws, but someone has to catch. Yeah, exactly. It's it's always perspective. And outplay, every outplay is also a misplay from someone else, uh, arguably, um, which is just kind of, you know, glass half full, glass half empty. Depends on how you look at it. But that's enough from our perspective why don't we just ask the man himself we've got uh perks standing by so we'll check in with him and see how he felt about that series all right it is my distinct pleasure to welcome to the show none other than 80 carry mid laner league of legends player extraordinaire one of the all-time greats uh luka perkovich aka perks um hi welcome perks thank you for waking up one so early to be here i know this is definitely not peak gamer hours so uh thank you for making the sacrifice we were actually told by yankos though when we interviewed him that you and yankos actually get up pretty early on the team yeah that's true i mean i do actually usually wake up around this time uh like around 10 10 30 i guess uh so it's like not that early for me but uh, thank you guys for having me uh i'm very I'm very happy to be here with you guys, and uh, let's let's get into it, guys. Let's all right. Let's just let's jump right into it then, Luca. I'm gonna keep this first question simple. What happened versus Fnatic? You got to break it down for me. Like what what happened here? Let me to break it down. Yeah, I mean, because like people uh, well, are definitely gonna want to know the most about Game Three, but you tell me what's most interesting from your perspective. What's most interesting for the from the G two side? Um, well. The most interesting thing is the fact that I feel like we were like choking a little bit, uh, looking at the, watching our games, we were making like some mistakes where I felt like they were just kind of obvious, but that's how I guess it goes on stage sometimes when, well on stage when official matches, when you're just like too much into it and then you, you your judgment is clouded. At, but I think in general, like if you want like a really simple breakdown, I think game one, we got really out drafted. Game two, we, game three, we giga hard true. And game five, we just turbo entered. So we actually just lost it. But uh, game two and four, we kind of smashed them. So that was like nice, I guess. 
Yeah, when I when yeah. I when I look at it, you talk kind of about those mistakes that you made. I guess like heat of the moment, pressures on. Do you have any examples that you think of, like any really big plays outside of the game three Nexus push, which I think everyone could look at? But like, are there any other moments that really stick out to you where you know that you guys kind of made the wrong call or, or maybe too caught up in the in the moment? I think just like small like small things like the way we retake and like when we choose to retake or when we don't choose to retake or the way we sometimes move with our support jungler like uh, once sometimes we choose to go through both instead of mid and it's also like our support health in game three was like really bad i think it was game three maybe game two i don't know <laughs> one of the games like our sub like i remember i was like 15 seats up on lane with senna mm. and then we choose to swap and i lose two waves both and two plates so we actually lose out on the swap much more than if we even gained later on which is like horrible uh so that's something that i don't think we should be doing this kind of mistakes which is something we did so but other than that, I actually don't think we played like that bad in general. Just like some of those mistakes were like, I felt like when we were like, even let's say game three that we won, I'm oh, sorry, game two that we won, I felt like the game was just like fanatic inting into us the whole time. Like if you just, if I, if I just rewatched the game like yesterday, they were just like running into us the whole time. So it didn't even feel like we played that great that game, but it made us look really insane. And, um, I think game four is the one game we played really, really good. I like that I you bring game up four with pressure. game two because there's this there's this great clip in the mic check this week that is, hey guys, there's no way Reckless just walks into me and ints Wonders playing Jace mid and then he's <laughs> and then he does that. Reckless yeah, actually I mean, just walks like, into Jace like, and gets one tapped. I mean, we were like doing Nash, so Jace kind of like outplayed him because he was doing midwave. Like Regina was doing midwave, so he expected everyone to be at Nash. And then Wunder, Wunder flanked him, but that was like chance, kind of like a useless skill. It was just kind of one for to show off. Like that <laughs> didn't give us anything actually. So it was just yeah. In terms it, of it was kind of nice. Uh, the first game, I know Grabs also went on Twitter and was basically like, game one was on me. And you just kind of talked about um, draft. And draft is usually where people will start when they try to break down like a series about what happened. Um, you guys definitely pivoted on your priority for Ash. You banned her and then uh, were picking her a lot more in the back half. So Reckless only got her hand on it once. Do you think that the the game one was just about like not really respecting the Ash? Do you think it had something to do with the support matchup? Um, Mickey went on to the Braum. I was also curious. Do you guys think that Braum is like a good answer into Ash? Uh, I think it was more about like our jungle support picks. Like, I still think Senna is fine champ, but you have to like play her as a strong snack champion. Like she has to be played around because she's just a support. So if you are playing catch up with her, you will fall behind and you will be kind of useless. And she has a good laning phase, so she should allow you to do it in, in theory. So is it about but, taking the uh, Braum to empower Lilia to gank your lane? Uh, I mean, I think Braum is just useless. We should like probably pick Leona or something to make this game more draftable. And also Hacker into Lilia seems just like a really good matchup as well. Uh, so I think those two are issues. And yeah. So when you look That's at you, much when you <laughs> sorry, Luca, we keep like cutting you off. Jungle support picks <laughs> oh, <okay>. useless. <laughs> um, when you yeah, when you look sure. at your prep for this week, what like 
was was Ash stronger than you expected her to be? Because like like Frost said, you started to ban it away. Like how much of what you prepped in scrims do you feel like actually came true in this best of five? Because it seems like game one was so completely different in terms of draft strategy than the rest of the games for the series. So was this a, just a, a, a week where maybe the data or the info that you got in scrims was just maybe not as good as it has been in previous weeks where like, cause this NAR pick to me kind of came out of nowhere. Um, there's like a lot of picks that kind of, I guess, caught me off guard. Akali obviously is one of those picks that we've heard has been really good, but didn't really show up in this series. So how much of this was you guys experimenting in game one versus maybe like the prep that you had for the week, not being as, as good maybe as you thought it was. I think it was a little bit of prep not being as good. Like I feel like, uh, as we saw from Rogue and also from LPL and LCK teams, like a lot of those teams play farming junglers and have a diff different style, where we are the team who traditionally just plays Yankos for its lanes. And uh, he's like the best, uh, like he was the best dog jungler for us because he would always, he's so smart, so he does so well to play around us. But if the meta like shifts a bit, we have to adapt as players. And that's something we didn't like all do. So I think it's something that we are really like we started doing a bit last week, but we didn't like really think it was gonna be that huge, I guess. Now we are starting to be able to play both styles, which is just really good for worlds as well, because a lot of people would they'll play this style of worlds and if the meta shifts back to early game junglers, we will always always be good at that. I think that will never go away from us. So I think it's just important that we can play both stars and regarding to like Senna Ash, I mean, I think like Senna Ash is kind of like a dog champ uh, at this point, honestly. It's like kind of like a Chogat of top lane or something, what we said before. Uh, I don't really like her that much. I will play her if it's a good situation. I will not like, I don't have like champion problems like mentally like that. So I will play her if she, I think she's good, but I just don't like her. And that's gonna stay like that. I think Ash is really OP. Uh, as we could see in game four and five, uh, I was giga smurfing on her, so I think uh, it just fits me more to play a champion that is strong and has damage and initiation than a champion that is the support. So, yeah, I think that's something that if we played Ash more games, we would have probably won the series easier because I would just carry games with it. And uh, that's it, yeah. In terms of um, going back and like watching the VODs, like you had, I felt a really strong series for majority of it. Um, and usually when G2 lose, it's because individual members are underperforming. And it felt like in this series, while there were some instances of kind of question marks, it's like you were saying that there was just some weird decisions made from a team that it was like a team effort that you guys just kind of made the wrong call, which is usually also not how we see uh, G2 lose. It's usually someone just has like a turbo int moment and then everything uh, gets spiraled out of control and then you guys fight as hard as possible to keep it back in. In losing this series in the way that you guys did where it should have been a one series you guys threw, do you feel that this like, did this shake you guys mentally at all? Or are you guys like, okay, well, that was a, a bad day of League of Legends and run it back. Like, does G2 still retain a lot of that confidence? Because right now in talking to you, there's more of that, you know, we're not playing very well again. We'll figure it out. I think we need to reread the meta. Some players didn't change as much, like, as opposed to the happy-go-lucky G2 of like, ah, oh, better luck next time playing from loser's bracket. No, I mean, I think I'm just being kind of like... Uh very real i guess but i think we are still like really good atmosphere and a really good mentality and we have a lot of fun and like all this is like still there it's just like 
when you've been a team for together for so long, you kind of just want to uh, play perfect, I guess. And that's like where maybe my issues and this comes from. I mean, much less than previous years. I I, I think that uh, like every one of us is like good enough to not do the individual mistakes. That's why I don't really talk about them. Like, I, for example, I was recalling once, like after I cleared a minion, two seconds after I recalled and I stopped my base and they killed me. And there was just like some deaths where we just kind of entered, right? So that it, it is like that. But then again, on top of that, if our macro is always good, like if you retake when we are supposed to retake and we go where we're supposed to go, then those ints are very much less likely to happen as well. And that's why, uh, I talk about like our decision making and like our ints, I guess. Mm. And uh, regarding that, if I play good, yeah, I think that I am like really good right now. So that I think if I play good, we will win, which makes sense, right? So if I have like Ash and I'm playing good game, I think we should win. That's why I thought we should win game five because I was having like a really good game against like a really hard comp to play, uh, but. I think if anything, I, I got like a lot of confidence from the series uh, about my Ash because it wasn't like the high unit in scrims. So, and after I played her, I'm thinking that yeah, I'm really happy if I can get, get my hands on her again. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously you had a great, uh, I thought you had a great performance throughout the series, Senna and Ash. You talked about how Senna, you feel like she's like a dog champion, whereas your Ash is really strong. Is there another AD carry kind of like currently in the meta that you feel that you have agency on that you can hard carry if you're denied uh, the Ash? Like, will you go for the Lucian? Will you go for the Jin? Is there something uh, else that hasn't appeared in the meta yet that you don't have to reveal? But like, do you have an answer mm. where you're not just put on utility or you're denied the carry of Ash? I think I have like a few of, uh, a few champs, but it's like um, I don't think anything is like as high uh, agency as let's say Caitlyn, Kalista, or Ash give you. But then again, if teams have to ban three AD carries against us, I will gladly take those. And if not, I'm very happy to play either one of them when it's open because they're all pretty broken right now. Even though nobody else in Europe plays Kalista, actually, not many people over the world actually play Kalista. There is only like Ruler really a plays her. Mm. and maybe some other LCK AD, but uh, so I'm just really happy in this meta actually right now. I think AD carry is really, really broken right now. Uh, I hope... Oh no, sorry, say. continue, Luca. I just hope it stays at these during roles where AD carry is like kind of strong, so it will be it will be nice to have like more options to play, because that's uh, even if, if teams ban three 80s, I feel like I'm still like pretty happy playing Senna in those situations, right? And I can play I can play Jin and I can play some cheese options that I'm practicing in solo right now. I will not really reveal them, but we might see some uh, some buttons being brought back. Uh, <laughs> oh shit! Some spicy takes. Oh, I'm so ready. You, I need to know. I'll wait until Worlds when it's not a conflict of interest. Slip into the to, DMs. Oh, I will, I will <laughs> mad slip into this DM once Worlds comes around. <laughs> I don't know how much you watch of. Um, LCS, but what I find really interesting is the conversation in LCS right now is, is about uh, carrying from the top side of the map. Like, obviously, you have things like uh, Camille running around and Shin is, is very powerful. Whereas in talking to G2 and now Luca right now, talking about like carrying from the bot side and how like overpowered and broken Ash is, um, that Callista is still very valuable, that you have champions like Caitlyn, which are perma banned. But people seem to see like Ash and Senna and just assume that it's like utility bot lane. And so you have to carry from like elsewhere on the map. Like, Luca, can you walk me through 
how you view the bot lane meta like is it still hard gank bot lane bot lane can carry or do you think that you guys are uh, put from like i'm just here to right click on people and to take towers and this is really about like my jungle support uh doing everything for me uh no no i mean i think it's like it's for sure not as like last year where zaya were like just really op and you had to like you had to fight on lanes all the time i think right now it seems very hard to kill on lane because uh both supports most likely lose exhaust and uh, a carry matchups are like fairly like strong lane AD carry so it's like hard to punish them that much i think uh but uh i, so I think definitely like it's uh you can play both styles where you play towards top and they play towards bot but i do feel like that you can play towards top and you can play ash basically like but even though you're playing towards top if you're playing ash you can still be very very useful in the game just because i think the champion is just that strong and uh, you you have really good scaling you're really strong on two items you have strong landing phase so uh even if you just make one player on bot it can already be good enough for the ash team to get advantage and also not to mention if you use your e smartly it's probably like the most op ability in the game uh from like the qwe abilities uh you just get like free vision of enemy jungle for the whole game <laughs> what, what else do you even want like the hook is that you know <laughs> where are you on the uh bork ash versus essence river ash because we started to see more of the essence river coming out do you think it's like dependent on situation or do you have one that you um uh... situation yeah wait i think uh, game five i should have built essence river i f because they're like squishies and if i have more arrows like Gragas with no mercs, he might just like die more often. And uh, game four, when I build blade, I should definitely build blade in that game because there are like a lot of melee champs that want to win. So it makes sense. But I think game five, I just wasn't even when I like I, like literally when I bought my item, I felt, I thought, oh, I guess I should have made the essence this game. But it's like it's not like a huge mistake. Mm. It's like still fine because you scale well, you scale well with that build as well. But if you if I did have Essence Shiver in the game, I would scale it better against those champs, for example. It makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm curious in general, like, you talk a lot about bot lane meta, and I'm actually surprised to hear you talk about bot lane as positively as you are. Because, like, I look at the, the like, this year of bot lane to me has been such a mess. Like, we had the Aphelios era, we had the Varus era, now we're on, like, the Ash versus Senna. It feels like just about every game, because Caitlyn and Quist are banned, admittedly. Like... Which meta do you actually prefer? Do you miss 2019 and Zaya Kaisa and like fighting bot lane constantly and playing these AD carries who have like, a, I guess, a lot more tools for self protection? Or do you like playing things like the Ash where you're a little bit more team dependent, but on the inverse side, you do also get to initiate the plays on your own? Like, what's your actual preference for bot lane meta as a bot laner? Because you've been in and out and you've seen kind of both extremes the very utility focused bot lanes with the Senna Ash and the very carry focused bot lane with the, the Zaya Kaisas. I mean, for sure, I would much rather prefer playing last year meta. Like, that's not even like question. Or I would prefer <laughs> playing the meta where there is every tank in the game, and you're just playing Tristana or Jinx or Virus, and you're just one-shotting everyone. Like, I would love to play that meta as well. Uh, you know, as an AD carry, but you just have to kind of have to learn uh, to love what you do. Because if I don't, learn, if I didn't learn to love this meta, I would just be a burden to my team instead of a guy who can actually carry games. So that's basically my mindset is just like learn to love the champions that i've played right now and mm. be really really good at them so that i can offer the most i can to my team otherwise yeah 
as I mentioned, I might just like be a burden. And yeah, man, better team always wins. You know, I'm just an AD carry. What can I, do? <laughs> I don't want to. I don't really want to have that mindset. So I just want to take the the agency and take my responsibility for playing this role and do the most I can. That's why if a team doesn't ban Kate Kalista or Ash against me this week, I will for sure carry against them. <laughs> and, and then they will ban it the next game. And then hopefully my top are carries. And then I will bring out something cheesy. <laughs> and so we have, we have like a decent play, I think. Yeah. Do you, as like the full transition has taken over where you're now from mid to 80 carry to mid now back to 80 carry. Do you, uh, do you ever like miss mid lane? Do you miss the fact that like, you don't have as much agency or control or do you feel that you've now figured out from the AD carry position that you can uh, bring kind of like that mid lane, like this game's in my control, I can hard carry this game, I can be the difference maker to the ADC role or do you think that it's still just like skewed towards mid lane? Uh, I do, yeah. I miss mid lane. I think it's a, it's a complete, uh, it's just a complete worse role to AD carry and uh, it's like to play the carry, you have to just be like really demanding and really vining but from mid lane, it's easier to control the game and to kind of have overview over the whole game. When I'm playing bottom, I'm much more focused on what me and my support should be doing together because it's like I can't even autopilot my lane because if you like f up once, if you f up once, and uh, or I f up once, it can, we can get like really f mm -hmm. So I think like bottom is pretty hard to play. Uh, it's not easy at all. I think it's. Uh, you have to be really smart player to play Botland well together. And so that's the part I enjoy about Botland. It's all about, uh, like, it's actually for me, it's like harder role than mid, but it also kind of biased because I played mid for like 10 years of my life. So uh, <laughs> it's obviously that I can like autopilot mid lane and do well. So I guess that maybe makes sense as well. Uh, but uh, like Botland is still fine. It's not that bad, so it's it's not it's not horrible at all. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I was just about to ask, like, how rewarding is it when you and Mickey just absolutely blast someone, or like you just feel that synergy? Is that just like does it get really hypey, or are you are you guys just like, uh, yeah, standard day in the office? We could deny this guy, we could screw him up, all his waves, like. I mean, it was probably better last year because we could we were killing opponents so much. But in this meta, like nobody really cares anyone two v two, so that's kind of boring. I think like the only two v two we got, uh, I think like this whole playoffs we got to see was basically Hilly uh, and uh, Reckless killing Wander and uh, the other guy Hans Wander. I mean, just Wander and us killing Kaiser. I think, uh, like with Senna Brown, and that was like pretty cringe the fact that he died at the Senna Brown lane. That's like, I mean, if you kill someone in this meta, that's just really cringe. Like, it's not even, uh, <laughs> it's not even you being like really good or something. So, yeah. Oh, that makes me that, sad. That's like the sad part. But it's also so funny because now anytime anyone dies 2v2 in lane, I'll be like, and remember what Luca said if you die 2v2 in lane, that's cringe. Because <laughs> it's true. Because, like, actually, how do you kill anyone? With Senna Ash, it's not it's not gonna happen. Apparently, you take your hands off the keyboard and walk in as a gangplank into Scion Q. That that also happened. <laughs> and speaking <laughs> of the high quality plays like that, um, your opponent this week is Rogue, right? And I think a lot of people are probably rooting for you to face uh, Fnatic again in the finals. But to me, 
Rogue looked a lot stronger versus Mad Lions. That was a very one-sided series. Like, what are your thoughts on Rogue right now? Do you give them a little bit more credit? Are you more scared of them now that they've taken down Mad Lions? What do you think about the team overall? They they really do look scary. Like, that's the scariest part, actually. Like, I don't know. They look pretty good. Uh, I think Rogue has, like, changed their, like, uh, play style uh, up. And uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how we will play against it because I think the play style is similar to Fanatics now. And uh, I do think that we should beat them anyways. I feel like, I still think we are like really good right now, even though we lost. I think it was kind of a fluke. I do believe on a different day, we 3-1 this series and everyone is like, haha, G2 versus Fnatic. Uh, they barely took one game <laughs> in the whole year. Ah, ha, ha, ha. So uh, we, we just have to like stay confident in ourselves and believe that we can still take the whole thing. And I think that we can. And um, I, I don't really see why Rogue should stop us. And even though they're playing good, we like we just we're just really confident in each other. So I believe that uh, my team will do really well, and I think that I will do well. So yeah. I mean, obviously, when we look at the historic record, uh, Rogue have never beaten G two or taken a single game from you guys. And uh, Grabs always likes to bring that one up, but. I'm always just like kind of curious because people will always talk about, you know, like play style matchup or anything like that. But at that point, when you're like 0-10 versus a team, does it sometimes just come down to Wonder sitting in lane and he's looking across at Finn and he's just like, I know I can beat this guy on any side of matchup. Or you're looking at Vander and Hansot like, I don't know. I always feel like it, it's just like the player difference, like Larson versus Caps. Well, your best player is against probably the best player that... Europe has ever created so good luck and while the play style may have changed I just always fear for Rogue and I feel like G2 just have that edge on them yeah I don't know G uh, Percy are you feeling that con because Frost sounds like he's very confident but you were like hey Rogue do look scary Rogue like are you are you guys coming into this one respectful or do you feel like when you look at the historic record that it's just like so easy to like brush Rogue aside yeah, I mean, I don't really care about historic record because we went like 7-0 in Sonata this year and we still lost to them. <laughs> and at, at, like, at, some point, at some point, you kind of just have to like uh, uh, be like a respectful because if you mm -hmm. get too cocky like against Rogue, then we might just lose. But I do agree with you. Like I can't see really a universe in which Finn wins against Wunder. So that should be like already like a <laughs> already a good quote if we do, you know. But uh, yeah, I also think Hans and Wunder play worse on stage than do his screams. Mm -hmm. And uh, even though I, I do have actually a lot of respect for Hans as an editor, I think he is kind of similar to me uh, in a way that he plays. So. Uh, but I think that, yeah, as I mentioned, he does play worse on in real games, and uh, that's where I play better, I think. So it's going to be fun matchup, I think. So but I don't really have, like, too much to say, I guess, because I haven't really yeah. screamed them in their new, like, when they beat, when they beat, we played, like, only, like, few games, three games or something. Mm. So it's, like, it's hard for me to say really what to expect from them and they don't really know what to expect from us for next week either right now that we lost so it's gonna be kind of a burger flip but uh yeah we'll see when you guys are doing uh preparation for teams like rogue uh do you guys like do you personally go out of your way to really study the team or is it more about just studying what you guys have been working on in scrims for g2 like is it about like 
G2, we know that we want to play these drafts. We think that we'll play these champions and that this is how we'll execute it. Or is it like rogue play this way? And I know that we can attack them here. We're going to try to outmaneuver. Like, is it more focus on yourself or focus on your enemy? Uh, I think we do, we do both. And uh, it's like, we just kind of like, just look at the tendencies and what they like to do. And then we are more mindful of like how to play. I mean, it's also like when you play against a team for a very long time, you already know, kind of know how to play. Like let's say against Fnatic, we, we kind of like, we don't even need prep anymore because we just like, both teams just know each other very well. Um, granted, they did change their place a little bit this right now compared to the previous places. They always used to be like a really early game heavy team that wants to fight. Now they just wait for this spike and ring the bell and then self-mid comes and starts carrying <laughs> with uh, two levels advantage so they're like a little bit different now but still sim similar in mid game and where i think rogue it should just basically like kind of like you mentioned we should be just better team than them and better individuals fanatic just has a lot of experience so they always have like a good uh, they're always fast on the map to respond onto our place and when we choke or make the wrong decisions let's say not choke because that's like whatever word then they will contest us and yeah, even beat us as you can see uh that happened yeah <laughs> it did um so luca do you think that this was it was good for you guys to lose a best of five before going to worlds because it sounds like you guys coming into this series were very set on believing that yanko's supporting all the laners was the right way to play, the sets, the Sejuani's, the whatever, and it now sounds like after losing to Fnatic that you're much more open-minded about the the LPL meta. Maybe not so far as to Nidalee Renekton, I don't know what you're scrimming, but at least enough to kind of respect the Hecarims and, and the Lilias of the world. So was this an important loss, do you think, for you guys to take uh, domestically? I think, yeah. Yeah, I think it was a really important loss. Like, if anything, like, losing in upper bracket really doesn't matter. And if we have to, like, lose again just to get something else before worlds i would rather take those than losing in a first bo5 at worlds where kanavi just uh picks carry junglers and just farms for late game and we just like like get outscaled yeah so i think it was kind of like a good good uh, learning curve for us right now as a, as a sort of final topic, just to kind of quick hit here, Worlds is coming up. Obviously, we know all four teams that are qualified, uh, you guys, Fnatic, Mad Lions, and Rogue. Uh, I'm curious, right now, based on what we've seen in playoffs, how do you feel about the overall level of LEC heading into Worlds? Is it better or worse than last year? Should we be scared about the LCK too, or is it just the LPL that we need to be afraid of? Like, What are your initial thoughts on expectations for, for Europe at Worlds? Many of the thoughts after watching like all regions. I think uh, actually LPL is kind of overrated right now. Uh, I think, uh, well, I don't know if I can say that because they beat us last two years to 3 0. But looking at the games, how they play, I think they are not that scary as people make them out to be. And if anything, I think the only thing that's really scary right now is Damon. I mean, if you just look at their unit as well, that's just really insane. But then again, their bottom is kind of whatever so it should be like fine against them as well i feel like every team has a flow and uh yeah lpl the only thing they have scary is basically they have like jackie law karsa and knight uh these players always perform well uh but knight has never been to roll so he might as well be like the biggest choker ever we didn't really know uh i'm kind like, of praying we didn't, we didn't actually know that 
So, uh, and like all, all already, like on top of that, I don't actually think Knight is like that insane. Like from watching him, after watching him play, he's pretty good. But it's like, I don't know why would anyone like put him on pedestal over like cups, let's say. Uh, but then EU teams, uh, I mean, I feel like every team right now is like kind of, like every team in the world right now is kind of meh. Uh, I feel like people are still like trying to figure out their priorities and shit. And there is a lot of like Jin in LPL, which I don't think is a great, you know, but maybe I'll play him as well. So we will see how, how it develops over courses of next two patches. Well, I guess 10 plus 17 is already live, so one more patch. I think um, that EU can be actually... I would not say the strongest region, but it can be like it can be like top two, you know, easily. Uh, we'll just have to see how everyone else plays. Like it's it's really it's really hard to say honestly because also this world is like this world is just really int uh, the way that uh, it's. I mean, of course, because of COVID, right? <laughs> so it's just really int that people will go to quarantine and then Chinese teams will play from home because yeah, because they just have this privilege, you know, instead of everyone else going to some other country and everyone being quarantined at the same time. That doesn't make any sense to me, but you know what? It's fine. And uh, then we will see how teams perform perform on stage after quarantine, which this is like a lot of mental factors coming into this right now. And that's where uh, EU players might have like the upper hand, I guess. Mm. Do you think that um, over the quarantine and lockdown scenario, like obviously in uh, Germany, we're moving at a lot more freedom than some of the other areas in the world, but... There was like a conversation that I had with Yamato where uh, Shanghai and Wuhan and China first went into lockdown and we were just like, wow, this is actually just going to make the LPL better because they're just going to sit inside now because they have nowhere that they can go and they're just going to grind solo queue. Do you think that over COVID that people got better at playing because we were inside more, playing more games, grinding more solo queue? Or do you think the burnout factor of being like locked down and the stress like made people play worse? Oof. Oof, that's a hard question, actually, because you would have to, like, actually, like, go and look at the amount of mistakes <laughs> people make this year compared to last year. So that's, like, a really hard thing to say. But uh, I do think that the mental factor might come really into play in roles. Like, uh, I think as of, like, regular season and whatever, it's, it's whatever, honestly, I guess. But uh, when you go into roles... This is where the quarantine and not going out and shit might hit you. Mm. Uh, like I've been in quarantine myself, and so I kind of know more of how to prepare for it. And uh, like I'm actually mentally ready to go to China. I'm actually excited, if anything, to get like two weeks of peace uh, <laughs> from my teammates. I hope they don't see this, so they don't know this. But I, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of I'm kind of tired of them right now. Uh, so I will be looking forward to ordering some nice. Uh, foods to my room uh, <laughs> and enjoying uh, but it's still like it still is a bit like annoying the fact that you can't like literally go outside for a walk mm -hmm. like for example which is something I enjoy doing and probably some other people do as well you know it's kind of a human thing to do <laughs> but yeah I hope they're getting you guys a really nice gym in whatever a hotel nice it gym, is night in your room whatever they I hope they're I hope you're <laughs> rooftop set up. balcony I hope you're set up world's team if you're watching this this is or g2 who's ever responsible for this like these boys need to be set up 
Parks' room needs to just be an entire floor of the hotel, so he can yes. walk. He can get his yes. walks in. He can have a different room for every activity. I wanted to. I wanted to upgrade. I wanted to upgrade to like a suit, a suite. Yeah, it's called suite. Yeah, it's not a suit, obviously, to a suite. And then I checked the price, and it was like three thousand five hundred euros per month per day. Oh, and I'm like, oh, I guess I guess I'm not upgrading, you know. You turn to <laughs> Carlos, you're like, listen, the prize pool is this. <laughs> How much do you want it? This Yank is just a fraction. <laughs> we'll bid on what we learned last time. In order to win, Yankos has to play Sidwani, and Parks needs a $3,500 a night room upgrade. These are the, these are the conditions. <laughs> if we hit both of them, G2 will win worlds. <laughs> All right, Luca. Thank you, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, man. Good luck in the series versus Rogue, and if you win the series versus Fnatic in the finals uh, as well. Um, yeah, thanks again for all the insight and uh, good luck in in scrims this week and in uh, diversifying the style. I hope we get to see your cheese picks on stage personally because um, I'm tired of the spotlight meta, but I'm glad that you you can look at it in a positive light. Please play Yasuo, Gragas. <laughs> I miss it yeah. so much. Uh, ooh. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, okay, let's not leak anything well, here. Thank you guys for having me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Luca. We'll see you later. So, that was a really nice interview from Luca. It was very level-headed, and there's a lot of things that I think he said there that made me happy. Because I think what was really interesting to me is, um, like, in alignment of recognizing, <laughs> maybe I'm just really biased, but I'm like, G2 should have won that series. Like, I'm happy that Fnatic did. And mm -hmm. me saying that, people would be like, oh, Frost, G2 bias, you know, Fnatic played well. Like, Fnatic did play well, but... I am appreciative that there was level-headedness, but then also the recognition of, like, strength. Because I think having that confidence, ego, whatever you want to call it, is, like, so important. Especially for the absolute gauntlet that is ahead of that team. Not just in semis to, hopefully for them, and potentially finals, but then also into worlds. Yeah, and I think the thing that I liked on, like, an individual level was Perks being, like, like kind of talking about how in the course of that series he learned to like really love like the ash performance and he said hey this is the first time i really got to pop off on ash it wasn't showing up in scrims anymore but then when we pushed him we asked about zag kaisman he's like oh no don't get me wrong like that's what i want to be playing but he took personal accountability he said if i'm not if i don't make myself be excited about playing these champions i'm going to perform worse or i'm going to make it my team's problem which i think is is a level of maturity that like i could not aspire to because let me tell you, when we play League of Legends, like if you tell me I have to play friggin' Karma bot lane, I'm like, we're not playing League of Legends today. Like, <laughs> if they ban Bard, Yasuo, and what else did I play? I played Yone. Set, yeah, Yone. I'm, I'm like, I'm out. I'll just quit. I'll just go next. Like, I, I want those are the champions I want to play right now. Screw anything else. Like, I'm not interested. So I can respect someone who, um, you know, can put their personal or maybe not put their personal feelings aside, but like find a way to enjoy something, even if it isn't as fun or as flashy or as personally gratifying. And I think what is also kind of interesting, we didn't really get a chance to discuss it as in depth, but this idea of the, not mental fortitude is too strong of a word, but you have to think about like how you punish people in this meta as a bot laner, because as he said, no one's dying 2v2 in the bot lane right now. It's mostly just about wave manipulation, uh, getting good resets, playing for tempo, and then teaming up your support in your jungle. Mm -hmm. And so that requires a very different skill set of just patience of being like, okay, don't mess up the wave, make sure we get the right bounce. Can we freeze right here? This is when we're taking our back, our correct back timer versus thinking like, we can set up a kill. This is our uh, trade pattern and rotation. Go, go, you know what I mean? Like it's so much more fun as a player to 
feel like you're hunting or you're really abusing people for killing them rather mm -hmm. than manipulating your wave to deny them and get better resets to like swap fat. You know what I mean? Like these yeah, are yeah. very and different it, things. It that depends. You take. Like some people like it, right? Because the wave thing is. Oh, I love is like, it. <laughs> I know you do. You, but you're like the chess player of League of Legends where I like the G2 boys in 2019. They were all MMA fighters. Right. And like when you take an MMA fighter and you're like, OK, now you're going to sit still for a long time and you're gonna think for a long time about your moves you're gonna move one piece at a time instead of literally punching another human being in the face it's a very different level of excitement it's actually a really good um boxing what, what was that big uh boxing match mcgregor versus oh the the meme one mcgregor yeah. versus who i forgot the other guy the actual boxer sorry we're not yeah everyone's not. like raging comments right now no uh but it was so interesting this idea Mayweather. of Mayweather uh, McGregor. Yes, Mayweather and his intelligence about uh, pacing out the fight and mm. using mm. basically his endurance and like wearing them down. It's kind of like those different mentalities of McGregor was throwing his body at everything. That's like, the, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to really punish you. And then you have another boxer. And obviously it was a boxing fight. It was unfair. <laughs> Who's just like, I'll let this guy tear, uh, wear himself out and then I'll go in for the strike. And that's like, that's the wave manipulation mm. idea. That's like... I'm going to play the mental warfare game with you. You know that I'm going to deny but, you right now. And I just have to watch you be frustrated with it. And you'll either crack or you'll play it perfectly. And like, if you, if that's illegal, I'm, I'm pulling you over. Like, man, this is a side note. Both those dudes made insane amounts of money. So the only real people who suffered is anyone who expected. Oh, it was a total PR stunt. Like, oh my God. Oh, obviously not talking trash on either of those guys. Cause they could literally kill me with a single punch, but Big money-making scheme. Congrats on them to all their money. Um, but yeah, anyone who expected a different result in the fight is trolling. Um, anyway, so on the other opposite side of that, the, like, the, the final question that I think remains for us now then is predicting what's ahead of us and what we actually expect for this G2 lineup. Because I think one of the most positive things that I've heard for G2's level at Worlds is also one of the worst things I've heard for their performance domestically, which is Perks being like, yeah, it might be good for us to lose another series, you know? <laughs> We have a lot, like, if we can learn another lesson here domestically, I'm like, that's a great mentality for winning worlds. That is a bad mentality for winning LEC. I mean, yeah, obviously, because then it would put you out. But I think it, it does show that G2's goalposts are very different than any other team's goalposts, mm -hmm. which is Europe is a stepping stone for world domination. Yep. And it feels really good as an LEC fan to actually have confidence there. Like, I don't know if I 100% am aligned with um, perks that like the LPL is overrated, but I can see why he would say that. Um, but you know, it's nice to feel, we've heard it from Larson, we've now heard it from perks, that they feel confident in Europe's ability. And also like, even if you disagree with that, you can see where the argument can be made. And that is a really exciting timeline to be on because it wasn't too long ago where if you said something like that, people would laugh you out. Yeah, and, and to be fair, like, coming into even last year's Worlds, like, we didn't really believe much in Splice at all, uh, and they managed to make it out of groups. We didn't, we kind of, we actually initially believed a lot in Fnatic because they went to full five games, and then after week one, it was kind of a mess, but they did bring it back, and so there's a lot of, the track record just keeps getting better and better, and being able to have more and more faith before we've played a game is a really good feeling. Now, of course, it's dangerous because we could all be in a situation two months from now where I'm like, oh my God, we're NA, we went 0-10 in week two, how did this happen? And we could be like crying our eyes out, this will be the saddest podcast of all time. Maybe we'll get an alcohol sponsorship from one episode so I can drink myself silly <laughs> after a performance like that, who knows? But um, hopefully this optimism is a good thing. There is a really good conversation um... I really want to credit the right person who brought it up. I think it was Veteran who brought it up on some of his content pieces, but this idea that beating 
SKT and a best of five was more important than anything else that Europe has ever accomplished because it proved that you could. And the thing was, is that when EDG beat SKT in a best of five in 2015 for MSI title, all of those players went back. There's so many interviews of players on different teams, not just EDG, people coming out of retirement. Zatai came out of retirement to play again, basically saying like, when I saw that EDG could do it, I knew it was possible and that gave me the fire. And it, it's something that is really hard to track in our our uh sport just because we don't necessarily get the mm. no most people don't really talk about it but it is something that is very cool of again this like rewriting history the acts that missed alexander you know if we hadn't beat them do does x player seeing that watching it 10 years later then decides yeah. to become a league of legends you know well, that timeline and i think it's also very important because we did exist in a timeline for a long time people remember the sven mythy era of g2 i remember it was either a fellow teammate or mythy himself kind of talking about the idea that like Korea felt unbeatable. And so you did not really, like maybe you believed in the team, but you felt, you treated yourself as the underdog anytime you played a Korean team. Like you didn't, like you felt like you were playing from behind. Uh, and that that mentality, while justifiable, is really not good if you're, if you're looking mm -hmm. to find wins. And it's a hard one to break out of, especially when at that point, his, historically, like we didn't beat Korean teams. That was a nobody beat Korean teams, except for that one, obviously, MSI final with EDG, which people were so ready to write off as a fluke because no one had done it before that it like didn't really cement anything at least for us for the lec or the eu lcs at the time domestically um so it is a big deal and it does change a lot um that said right now i think we're both probably in the predicting g2 to beat rogue column sure and that like that feels like a pretty easy prediction and most people are going to side with us on that one. i do really want to give credit to rogue though for changing up their style the interesting thing about it though is it feels like they're mad lines in rogue both have issues where they're being hamstrung by champion uh, pools, I feel, or uh, I'll call it effective champion pools because anyone can play anything, but it's like, how well do you play that thing? Um, whereas the Evelyn coming in, I think was a big boost for Inspired. We already knew that he could play a carry style because we've seen it from his Olaf performances um, and then pulling out the Eve. I also want to give credit to Finn for you know moving on to different champions. I was really yeah. concerned about his champion pool. It was basically like, how are they going to protect Finn versus how is Mad Lions going to protect Shadow? and then individual performers. And it felt like the best way to beat Rogue was that their strategy was about swapping on you as quickly as possible, using push priority to make sure that they never really fought you, that it was more about you fighting minions, and then to sweep away from you, wait till Larson was ready to team fight, and then they had great team fighting, and that's how Rogue beat you. By them changing this style, uh, I think is good news, because now they can kind of rely on a snowball to, I personally think, compensate for individual pound-for-pound -pound talent mismatches. I'm never going to say that Finn is going to beat Wonder or Bwipo in a 1v1. I mean, obviously, it could happen, but I would always err that it's going to be Wonder and Bwipo mm. that can do it. But, you know, if you have, like, a ridiculously fed Evelyn running around, then that doesn't really matter, because you're just slapping people with your wallets. Um, but outside that, I, I, my only concern is that for Rogue to overcome G2 and for Rogue to overcome Fnatic if they did want to take the LEC title and then for Rogue moving on to Worlds, it's just that their individual pieces, I don't think are ready right now to measure up to the best of the best global talent. Mm -hmm. Like they definitely measure up in the LEC and they definitely have strategies and champions that they can find the edge. Um, but that that's just like my flag. I'm confident that rogue will get out of groups i think they're probably the i don't know why people wouldn't be confident they're so consistent yeah very consistent and like my issue would be in a best of five but i do think it will be a a growing pain for rogue as they try to navigate 
increasing their individual ceilings so that when they go up against a uh, Zoom or a 369 or a, uh, <laughs> I don't know, showmaker, that they can stand toe-to-toe -to -toe and not just get blasted in lane phase. Because it used to be that if you held Rogue down in lanes, you would just beat them individually and they would slowly bleed out. Yeah, I have to see if that continues forward. Um, so assuming that G2 make it, I'm here's the thing. I think if there was ever a time for Fnatic to win, now is the time. Now, I literally said those exact words in the spring, <laughs> and I was wrong. And this is the problem, folks. It's really hard to predict G2 Fnatic games. But that said, until Fnatic beat G2 and eliminate G2, I will continue to root for G2. It's the double tap. I have to vote for G2 again. I voted for G2 previously. I was wrong. And yet still, I believe that G2 will take that best of five. Now, that said, I think this is the strongest version of Fnatic. I think Fnatic are a team that, like, when they're getting along together and they're winning, they're always going to perform better. So, like, it is definitely possible. But when we look back at that series, there's just a few... It was not a dominant series from Fnatic. It was a good series. Fnatic played a good series, and they were the better team, I believe, on the day. But G2 also threw a game. There's also, like, that random-ass Cassidy in Game 4 that clearly wasn't working. And so it's like, to me, if it was a 3-0 absolute blowout stomp, it would be pretty easy for me to be like, I don't think G2 have enough to recover from that. But because it was a five-game series that was a bit sloppy at a few different points from both sides, I can't take that as, like, the clear indicator that Fnatic is the superior team. So until then, like, history rules out for me, and I think that that's g2 are going to come back with a vengeance i agree with all that i also have very painful hiccups so sorry about that <laughs> and talking about fanatic and kind of like good things for fanatic when we were talking about you know like the different mentalities of how you play this type of bot lane it's funny because i feel like this is the best bot lane for like reckless mm -hmm. like obviously he can play and like carry kill you bot lane but like reckless ability to play weak side wave manipulation i've always just been so amazingly impressed by and i'm just like wow like reckless can really punish you in this type of meta but possibly the worst one for hilly hilly is good at wave cutting and like he often thinks about how to disrupt your back timers the joke that yep, he'll chase yep. you all the way to the nexus like it's not like he's not prepared for that but he also really wants to burn flashes um have aggressive trades and then use his uh damage advantage, health advantage, trade advantage to deny you whatever you want, and you don't really get to do that in that meta. Yeah, it's a little bit rough. Uh, we're going to see what's going to happen. But now, folks, that's going to do it for Euphoria proper. Of course, Saturday, Sunday this week, if you guys want to check it out, it is the playoffs, the semifinals between Rogue and G2. The winner of that will play Fnatic in the finals on Sunday. But now is our newest segment. And this is a segment born out of some people asking for it and also us just deciding to do it. For now, it is named Chill Corner. Chill because Corner. Because I came up with it when I was sleep deprived this morning. <laughs> this is 10 minutes of completely unrelated to League of Legends content. Maybe semi-related because there are going to be some things that overlap that we're going to talk about. But this is, if you want more Frosker and Dracos, this is the 10 minutes for you where we're going to hit it up and we're going to talk about absolutely random stuff. I've got ideas, but do you want to go first? Um, so I've got two things that have happened in my life that I really want to talk about. The first one is League of Legends rated and it's that game that we played. Oh my God. Dracos, Ender, and I have just been absolute animals right now in flex queue. Yes. And we just, we played mind, a half. Mind you, some low ass ELO <laughs> flex queue because these accounts have never played flex before and uh, we were not placed favorably. <laughs> so this is some, we are in... The this monkey is, town of ELO. This is like absolute <laughs> animal zoo style chaos. This is true LCS for fun gameplay. Let me tell you about this. This was, I've played probably tens of thousands of games of League of Legends. I was talking to Ender about this. Like I've played since, um, I remember when Cassidy was released as a champion. I've played since Nidalee was in the game. And uh, I've never 
in my life experienced a game like that. We held a base defense. I'm talking like Loveling versus uh, OMG, or excuse me, OMG versus Fnatic. That SOAS base defense where it's a single hit. We held off four of those, four different attempts. They just started throwing their bodies at us. Scion sold all of his ult, uh, all of his uh, items. He went like full BF sword. He was just training his way down the mid lane. They were like, sprint, they're like, we just got to hit the Nexus. They gave up the desperation sucker. They couldn't fight us anymore. We're like clawing back. We're getting elder dragons. We're splitting up with the, I, that was wild. It was also hands down like the greatest moment of coordination where like all of your flame for our absolutely bananas, useless Ari in the mid lane like floated away. So for con context where like we started off really good we may have hilariously fed a gin and then the enemy team bm'd in our base instead of hitting our nexus we ace them and then for the next like 30 minutes 30 minutes we hold on against a team who has soul we steal two elders from them back to back <laughs> two this barons like, and you know these games right like most of us if you're a real grinder maybe you get one of these games like once a week but if you're if you're like you know you're a little bit more humble you're a little bit older and you don't get as much time to play games you get maybe one of these a month one of these every three months one of these a year um and this was our one a year because this was the biggest like we were literally microing like okay we have to kill oriana first because the scion does literally no damage because he's full tank but then the second the scion comes out of his like pass into his death defied passive we have to like immediately cc him so that was did you guys end up casting over it on your stream no not yet but there's a replay and at some point we'll release we will we will def that that one will go down in the history books that is the biggest fiesta i have ever and you that's the game where you win I hope to God that whoever, that Jin who lost the game, I hope to God he's still mad when he went to bed, that he's still salty about it. He probably should be, because that Scion could have literally built a Sheen and ended the game, but he just, he went full, from full tank to full AD, and he only needed a little bit more damage, and if he had just built a Sheen, he would have been fine, but he went full AD, and as he was running down mid lane, he got one tap, because he was full AD, Scion. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, God. All right, so... If you want more information on that, it, what's is it that European fangirl that you're streaming on these days? No, I'm I'm Frosk. I'm Frosk. Twitch.tv slash I'm Frosk. You can check out her Twitch. Um, if you want to see that replay, we'll link to the VOD at some point when it comes out, whenever it gets reviewed. Um, other than that, the other thing I want to talk about is the, I guess it is league related. So the Chill Corner is just non-LEC league related things. The BAPE uh, oh, yeah. sponsorship with the True Damage Yasuo skin. How, how, how do you feel? It's like, because I'm like into fashion, but I feel like you're a level above me. Like, I might be, like, silver, but you're, like, gold plat, maybe. <laughs> maybe diamond. It depends. Like, a lot of people here are going to look at you as a diamond player for the uh, the streetwear fashion. So how do you feel about these, like, skin collab things? So I got to go to the uh, Louis Vuitton Fashion Week with Lo Yamato, um, David Higdon, who's head of, like, all comms for League of Legends, and um, Nas. And, A, amazing experience. <laughs> <laughs> but when sitting down and i'm gonna you know it probably doesn't work like this but i'm gonna take full credit here and my conversation with david and yamada was there he could totally back me up this absolutely happened david was talking to us and just like asking back and forth and what's interesting uh my perspective is that since i was in china i already like as soon as i saw the louis vuitton um thing coming down i was like that is genius they're gonna make so much money in china uh high-end luxury brands are like that is the that is the fashion in china like china streetwear is like intense and mixing in that stuff amazing and the lpl teams have already trained the chinese audience to have designer clothing uh associated with league of legends like all of the teams especially edg have like designer clothing that launches that will have like clear love's giant face i'll wear one of the shirts next time on eu4a i own one oh my God. and it sells out instantly and so this was 
was this was perfect for them. This capsule, I'm like, that's amazing. And then he starts asking me, he's like, what other brands? I was like, you have to get Bape. Bape is massive in China. Everyone wears Bape. And if that's like the, the, the like, sorry, Western guys, this is not for you. This is the middle class of China is booming fun, right fun, now. Fun fact, China, very important for League of Legends. You want new champions? China also, be ridiculously important for brands like Louis Vuitton. I yeah. I was reading a study about it. I will get the numbers wrong, but when the Louis Vuitton thing came out, I went back and was studying into it. It was like something like 60% to 70% of their sales were coming from the new booming middle-class Chinese market. So like it was just a match made in heaven, uh, streetwear, hype brands, vape. That is, I'm just going to say, I gave them the idea. I probably did. didn't, but I definitely probably. also recognized that it was a good idea no, while no, no, it was no. simultaneously. If there's one thing we've learned to shoutcasters is if you as a public face of the company say take it credit first. for anything, you get all of the credit. That's what we've learned. Everyone else, like we could do literally nothing. We could show up and say one line in front of like a beautifully choreographed video and they'd be like, wow, Frost and Draco's really crushed that. And we'd be like, yes, thank you. Well done. <laughs> Also, what the hell is going on with your headset right now? I just, I decided to, I... <laughs> if you're in YouTube land, please look at this, because this is like, what, the, what is happening? This, this is peak Frost Giren. When I'm actually just playing, when I'm down to clown with you guys and we're just playing yep, whatever, absolutely. this is actually how I wear my headset. It's only when I'm in professional mode and that I go like into... goes over your shoulder? Yeah, that uh. it like goes over the... Sh and then I use like a different voice. If I'm actually just having fun and talking about things that I want to talk about, the, the cord goes on the hat. All right, cord on the hat. It's a look. I'll give you that. That's the fashion. I don't know. I, I, I'm more excited about the fashion collection. I could care less about the skin in-game. Like, it's cool, obviously, and a lot of people who are, like, into Yasuo mains are going to be all about it because that's a big flex, and I respect it. You know what I mean? But, like, for me, it's all about the, the clothing line because I, I liked a lot of the um, Kiana pieces, actually. Like, even as, like, a dude who the line wasn't designed for, I would have worn a lot of that stuff. Um, but I am excited for the Bape stuff, which feels a bit more unisex. Don't know. Literally know nothing about this collection for contract uh, for for context. Even though I work at Riot, like I I have no nothing about this. I had no idea this was coming. I've only seen the PBE skin teasers and now the actual announcement. It's kind of like the last frontier that we really need to conquer since we've conquered like gaming and music is like fashion. And I'm gonna be real honest to our merch team. Sorry guys, we've not conquered that one yet. We're getting closer. Like. Mm -hmm. The LEC merch, when I first, I don't know if people have ordered it. It's a very lightweight sweat uh, sweatshirt. And when I first put it on, I was like, I prefer personally like heavier Heavy. weight yep. things. Um, so it wasn't like my bag. I think the de design and colors are, especially because it's like nondescript. It's mm -hmm. nice for me because I hate when I f wear, excuse me. Subtly nerdy. Oh my God. Subtly Who nerdy. wants to just wear a poster on their tits? Look it. If you want those kind of t-shirts, Hot Topic has the market cornered. You can get your a Day to Remember t-shirt at the same time you get your Legend of Zelda t-shirt. And if that's what you're into, dude, shout out to you. Wear your nerdiness proudly. Like, I'm not going to shame that. But for me, I love the subtlety. We're going to make a brand, and no one can steal this from us. I got this idea from Derek Asiadu, is that how you pronounce it, who's now a TFT streamer, formerly worked at Riot. And we're going to call it the secret, the secret Handshake. And it's just all the nerdiest clothing possible without but like it's cl not clearly nerdy at all and it's like oh you see a symbol like from mass effect or something but there's nothing else on it that says mass effect so only everyone's like so everyone's cool like symbol. yes but all the people who actually know are like hey you're a giant dork and you're like what's up boom boom secret handshake says the dude with bloodborne tattoos on his finger but exactly but that's my point i like the symbols i don't it's but the I don't physical want... manifestation of the secret handshake yes thank you thank you oh man wonderful wonderful um what else? Yeah, so I'm hoping that this is a cool line. 
as always, streetwear is very expensive. And like, don't get me wrong, we do well as shoutcasters, but I'm not like super down. That said, I will try to get one piece. Like I'm gonna be in that queue and I swear to God, I will brag about it if I get it to get that piece because I'm I'm right there in the trenches with you, streetwear fanatics, sneakerheads lining up, <sighs> botting every single raffle. Actually, the bo- screw you if you bought anything. It's so annoying. But all I you- don't I don't understand how, okay. Yamato gets every single drop ever for Yeezy. And we, I don't, weird size feet. It has to be. It has to be. It has to be weird we size We literally feet. went into... Oh, and here's another pro tip for all you sneakerheads. Uh, Paris, massive Nike town. Trying to get any Jordan drop in Paris? Like, good <laughs> luck. But Yeezy drops, they don't, they don't touch care. that Adidas we, stuff. Yeah. You can walk into a Foot Locker and there's Yeezy's 350s as far as the wall can see. I'm like, what is happening here? I'm literally going to just... If we weren't in COVID times at this point, I would actually just fly, fly to, to Paris. Paris and get some kicks Because it'd be cheaper mm-hmm. than trying to buy mm-hmm. resale. Damn. Anyway. All right, that's going to do it for us for The Chill Corner. Uh, let us know how you feel about the segment. We like talking about things that aren't related to League of Legends. But if you guys are like, ah, oh, this isn't a euphoria experience, we can do this on a different stream, at a different time, on a different platform, and save it for all the people who do love it, who want to hear about this. So, yeah, talked about Bape collab a little bit. Talked about um, our crazy solo queue experience. Let us know about your crazy solo queue experiences. Send us your replays. Why not? I love watching League of Legends that is crazy and fun. I don't really care what level it is as long as it's absolutely bananas. That's my pref- uh, preference. Anyway, once again... Saturday, Sunday. Saturday, G2 versus Rogue. Sunday, winner versus Fnatic. Ooh, it's going to be crazy. There's an opening ceremony. Me, Frost, and Betty are casting the finals. I'm going to announce that this comes out on Thursday. We're the trio casting the finals. So get ready for a little mom, dad, and... Son? Estranged brother. Uncle who isn't actually your uncle, but uses uncle. Dog? You can decide. What is the Vettiest relationship in this one? Let us know. Um, we're going to figure it out. Anyway, this has been Euphoria, the finals episode. We stopped numbering them once playoffs start, so I don't know what the number is, but that's going to do it. This is the episode. We'll see you later.